All right. Well, it's good to see everybody today, and hopefully those of you who are listening. We're going to turn this morning to Jeremiah chapter 32. And we're going to look at the first, well, we're going to read the first few verses, 1 through 25. Um, try to give some context to a thought that I had as I read through it this week. Um, I'm titling this The Indelible Imprint of God on Human History. The Indelible Imprint of God on Human History. And I'll show you the verse where that just kind of leapt off off the page to me, and we're going to focus in on this aspect, three aspects. We're going to look at some general aspects in relation to God's imprint on human history, a specific aspect in this passage, and then we'll wind it up with some practical aspects. So this thought of God's indelible imprint on human history, just really, I just, I don't know where that came from. It just popped into my head. But to me, it's pretty intriguing because God leaves his imprint or God leaves his footprint on human history all the time. And it's his witness to himself in this world that is undeniable, although people will deny it, obviously. People don't want to believe in God. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in Yeshua. They don't believe in salvation by grace of faith. But God has so arranged it. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But God has so arranged it, and he so interacts with human history that his, his imprint is everywhere, and it's undeniable. And I want to close with how we can be a part of that indelible imprint. So we'll start at verse 1. We'll read through verse 25 of Jeremiah 32. Oh, I need to get my iPad. All right, let me just get my iPad out because I'm going to have some notes I want to read from some commentators. All right, so Jeremiah 32 and verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from Yehovah in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith Jehovah, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall he be until I visit him, saith Jehovah. Though ye fight with the Chaldeans, ye shall not prosper. And then the scene changes a little bit here. And Jeremiah said, The word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalem, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel 
mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of Yehovah, and said unto me, By my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of, re- of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of Yehovah. And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Barak, or Baruch, before them, saying, Thus saith Yehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. For thus saith Yehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now, when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ha, Yehovah, God, behold, thou, oh, it should be, O Lord Yehovah, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, and recompense the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, Yehovah of hosts, is his name, great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give them according to the fruit of their doings, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt even unto this day and in Israel and among other men and has made thee a name as at this day. And hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs, with wonders, and with a strong hand, and with a stretched out arm, and with great terror. And hast given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it. But they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy Torah. They have done nothing of all that thou commandst them to do. Therefore... Thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mounts, there coming unto the city to take it. And the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine and of the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass, and behold, thou seest it. And we'll let's see, 25. And thou hast said unto me, O Lord Yehovah, Buy thee the field for money, and take witnesses, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. So Jeremiah is kind of in a little bit of a pickle. Uh, I found it interesting, the Geneva Bible said that uh, Jeremiah is somewhere around his 40th year of preaching. So he's been, at this point, at it a long time, 40 years. I've been saved 45 years. I mean, that's a long time. And right now, he finds himself shut up in the court of the, the king's uh, court, of, in the court of the prison, which was in 
the king of Judah's house. So he's kind of under house arrest because he's been saying what we just read, that it's going down, guys. This is just going down. God's had enough. He sent prophets to you for a long, long time. I've been telling you for 40 years, you won't listen, you won't pay attention, and God is going to now bring judgment by, by, by way of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans, coming and taking them away captive. And so that's where we are. We're, at, we're in this juncture right here. We're at the end where the captivity is going to happen, and, and they're going to be taken away, and, and Jeremiah is telling everybody the king's a little put out. He probably wants to silence Jeremiah's outreach, so he decides to put him in prison, though not a bad prison. Um, and uh, so things just kind of just not doing so well for him. So I wanted to, to say, read a couple of things about this court of the prison, um, if I can get to it. Oh. All right, so this is a note by uh, whom? Uh, Jameson Foster Brown. It talks about him being in the court of the prison, just to kind of give you a, just a little feel for where he is, what's going on, why he is where he is, and, and possibly what may be the point of him being there. So Jameson Foster Brown said, in the court of the prison, that is, in the open space occupied by the guard, from which he was not allowed to depart, but where any of his friends might visit, visit him. Then he goes on and says, marvelous obstinacy, that at the time when they were experiencing the truth of Jeremiah's word and the pressure of the siege, they should keep the prophet in confinement. And actually that little bit was a note from Calvin. The circumstances narrated here occurred at the beginning of the siege when Jeremiah foretold the capture of the city. He was at that time put into free custody in the court of the prison. At the raising of the siege by uh, Pharaoh Hophra, Jeremiah, this, he, now he's going to talk about different prisons. Jeremiah was on the point of uh, repairing to Benjamin when he was cast into the dungeon, but obtained leave to be removed again to the court of the prison, Jeremiah 37. When there, he urged the Jews on the second advance of the Chaldeans to the siege to save themselves by submission to Nebuchadnezzar, Jeremiah 38. In consequence of this, the king, at the instigation of the princes, princes, had him cast into a miry dungeon, 38, chapter 38. Again, he was removed to the prison court at the intercession of a courtier, where he remained till the capture of the city, Jeremiah 32, when he was liberated. So that's just a little bit of background. There's another one that's a little bit interesting um, that speaks about this is, is Gill and his commentary. I thought it was, I like the way he put what he put. Uh, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house, which showed great stupidity and hardness of heart in the king and his courtiers and in the people to imprison a prophet of the Lord when surrounded by an enemy's army, and that according to the prediction of the prophet, by which it appeared that he was a true prophet. And they might reasonably expect that the rest of his predictions, which related to the taking of the city and carrying them captive, would be fulfilled. It is true, indeed, he was in a better prison than before, more honorable, being within the limits of the king's house, and besides was not closely confined, but allowed to walk in the court of the prison, and so had a free air to breathe in. 
and more company to converse with and could exercise himself by walking about. Perhaps he was placed here to keep him from prophesying to the people to their discouragement and the more to awe him, Jeremiah, as he was under the eye of the king in his ministry uh, of this prison in his court mentioned is made in Nehemiah, seems to have been for state prisoners. So basically, the king's no idiot. He knows Jeremiah's been prophesying. It's happening right before his very eyes. He doesn't want to really overly punish Jeremiah, but he doesn't want Jeremiah out there still regurgitating this message. Hey, it's over, guys. And so puts him in a place where he won't have much contact with people. But here's the thing. God always has his imprint on human history. And by him trying to silence Jeremiah, it's not going to hinder God from keeping his footprint on the landscape of human history. All right, now, in chapter 32, that's just a little bit of background. I found it interesting. You know, I want to know what was this court of the king? Why was he there? You know, was it a nicer prison than where he could have been? You know, I knew he had been in the pit. You know, why is he here? What was the king's motive? So I just found it all interesting. And to me, this sort of information brings it kind of to reality in, in my thinking. Now, what got me thinking about what I want to talk about today is um, verse 20, where it says, Which hast set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day. That phrase there, even unto this day. So I'm thinking, well, what are you talking about? God has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel, and among other men, and hast made thee a name as at this day, and hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders, and with a strong hand, and with a stretched out arm, and with great terror. And then it goes on from there. But I found it interesting that what God did in the deliverance of his people from Egypt was still kind of being played out in the history of the lives of the people since then, even unto the day of Jeremiah. You know, also it was being played out in, in the imprint that God was leaving in, Israel, uh, in Egypt, but also in Israel. What God did was still kind of had a ripple effect after all these years in human history and then other people around the world. And I'll get a little bit more into this when we get to this, this aspect. But here God did this thing in a moment in time, a long time ago. I'll tell you how long in a little bit. But it, the ripple is still going on in Egypt, though they're gone, in Israel where they are, and other nations that know about that. And to me, that's cool. This momentous occasion in which God delivered his people, Israel, is being played over and over and over throughout time. And we'll see how that plays out. So we're going to look at three aspects relating to this. Now, first off, this generally, how does God leave his imprint generally? I have three passages to look at. Go up to Genesis, uh, Jeremiah 36. You know, generally, what does God kind of do on a, by, by means of a, just a general revelation of himself? Um, so Jeremiah 36, start at verse 14. Um, oh, let's see. 
what, what did I say? 36, I'm sorry, I meant 38. 38, starting at verse 14. Then Zedekiah the king sent and took Jeremiah the prophet unto him into the third entry that is in the house of Yehovah. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask thee a thing. So Zedekiah wants to know something. Hide, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Hide nothing from me. Then Jeremiah said unto Zedekiah, If I declared unto thee, wilt thou not surely put me to death? And if I give thee counsel, wilt thou not hearken unto me? So Zedekiah the king swear secretly unto Jeremiah, saying, in this phrase here, As Yehovah liveth that made us this soul. I just, this is so good. Zedekiah realized that his very existence, his very being, his very soul was implanted into him by God. And this is one of the general ways in which God leaves his imprint, imprint on human history. And go back to Genesis, and we'll, we'll see where this stems from, Genesis chapter 2. It, to me, this is it's just so powerful how God does this. I'll explain in just a minute. But just one verse, Jeremiah, uh, Genesis 2, 7. And Yehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You can, you can deny God all you want. You know, I always go back to this. I might have shared it with you, but I was first made aware of the importance of this thing that God has placed our very soul in us. When, when Bob Jones, we would go to Clemson to, to witness on the weekend, the preacher boys. And, you know, these are intelligent people. A lot of them don't believe in God. They have their arguments because there's been countless people on the campus at Clemson witnessing for the Lord. And, you know, I'm just one of a multitude they've run into. And so they have all these arguments and all this reasoning. And you're in this moment of desperation when it's like, ah, I don't know what to say. They're just killing me here. And just one night, and I could tell you exactly where it was because I envision it in my head right now. I know where it was. And I said, you can say all that you want, but you cannot deny God because Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says that God placed within you your soul. And you know there is a God because God breathed into you your existence, your soul. And you can say whatever you want. You know there's a God because God put that soul in you. Well, what is that? That's the imprint of God on his creation, right? If you ever run into that, you know, honestly, they were honest enough that every time I brought that up, they were just stumped. They didn't know what to do with that because it's true. People know that. They try to mask it, make it go away, deny it, speak against it. But God is not going to leave himself without a witness in his creation and in those that he creates. All right, uh, turn up one more for this point, up to Acts, chapter 17. Acts 17, we'll read 22 through 29. I won't get into all the backdrop. You'll recognize it probably. So Acts 17 Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, see, there's this thing. There's, this is, what this is telling you is there's this thing 
in God's creation that has a spiritual side to it. So he says, uh, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious, or you could say religious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times beforehand appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring." For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Well, what's he saying? God left an imprint on you. You are demonstrating it because you are so superstitious, you're religious, that you have all kinds of altars, one to this unknown God, and hey, I'm going to latch on to that one. That's the one that I'm telling you about. And we all live and move and breathe and have our being in Him and I know you know this because even your unsaved poets are telling you that. Isn't it good? So we don't have to cower because we come across those that we try to witness to and tell them about salvation and Yeshua, and they have all these arguments. You know, if you're trying to rattle through your mind, well, how can I counter what that was said? How can I counter what he just said there? What's the Bible verse is going to work? You're going to get lost. Just come up with something basic. Listen, I don't want to hear any of that stuff. Sounds real good, but I'm going to tell you. When it gets right down to it, you know there's a God because everything I just said. They can't deny it. They will, but they can't. And until we're bold enough to take the truth of God's word and smack them in the face with it, they're going to think, well, I just whooped another wimpy Christian again. They don't know what they're talking about. They couldn't stand up and hit me hard enough to get me to think. Right? I'm tired of being wimps. Hit, hit people with the truth of God's word. That's what brought me to salvation. All right, so, so anyway, so that's how God leaves his imprint generally. First off, in the creation of men, and that's what those three verses were about. All right. Second of all, and it's back to our, our uh, chapter, uh, Jeremiah 32. So God leaves his imprint generally uh, in his creation um, of man. All right, second of all, it comes out in verse 21 and 22. And hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror, and hast given them this land which thou didst swear to the fathers to give them land flowing with milk and honey. All right, so Israel. You know, Israel. I mean, it's in, God's in their name. Right? L? Am I not right, Luke? Yeah. I mean, it's in, it's in the name. So anytime God's enemies mention the word Israel, Israel itself is an imprint of God in human history. You same name, Israel, God. Right? You can't, am I, am I, help me with this, because this is my own thinking, and sometimes I get worried about my own thinking. So Israel, 
And that's what it's telling us here. God's imprint is on human history because of this nation that he called out of Egypt all these years ago. And it's not only its continued existence, it's Israel in the land. Because that's what all the prophets have prophesied. They're going to get back in the land. And yes, they were back in the land after the Babylonian captivity, but they're dispersed again. But now God is calling back Israel to Israel, and there's going to be a climactic, horrific battle take place, as I understand it. But Israel is not leaving. It's not leaving. And the fact that, you know, those of us that are older, when we grew up, you never thought about Israel, Iran, Iraq, and whatever else is around Egypt. Now, that's all we hear about, Turkey and, and all that. And the focus worldwide is on this strip of land that fits inside Rhode Island. Does that make any sense to anybody? No. If, it'll fit in Florida. It fits inside Florida. I've seen it. So Israel fits in Florida. It fits in Rhode Island. But the whole world is focused on that strip of land. Why? Because Israel, its existence, being in the land, is saying, God is, whether they know it or not. All right, the last one under this. Turn to Psalm 19. So in the, he, uh, his imprint is on the creation of man, uh, Israel's existence, and then being in the land. And then one that you can't deny. Nobody can die, deny this, and this is Psalm I don't know if I said it yet. Psalm 19. Give me a second to get there. You know, I mean, yes, it's in the creation of man, but it's also in his creation. Psalm 19. Uh, I can't find it. Give me a second here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his, what I'm saying, his, his imprint. You know, this all shows his imprint, his handiwork. Day unto day other speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as the bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run the race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and the circuit unto the ends of it, and there's nothing hid from the heat thereof. Every morning you wake up and the sun comes up. That's just God saying, hello, I'm here. I'm here. Every time the sun goes down and you look up to the heavens and you see the stars and the moon, that's God saying, hi, everybody. I'm here. That's his imprint. And you can't get away from it, even unto this day. I mean, it's good that there's an imprint left from Egypt, but now we're going back to Genesis 1. It's marvelous. So that's the first point. How I gotta keep going back and forth here. How God leaves his imprint generally. Now, specifically, how God leaves his imprint specifically. Now go back to Jeremiah 32. And that's this is the the verse, uh, Jeremiah 32, which is kind of cool. I, I didn't think about the timing um, of this. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Or 20, I'm sorry. 
Uh, I wrote down 22. I don't know why my mind's been over the place. All right, so um, how God leaves his imprint specifically. All right, verse 20. Yeah, it's 22, 21. Which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel, and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day, and has brought forth thy people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with strong hand, with stretched out arm, and with great terror. So what's this specifically talking about? Somebody tell me. Passover, which since I never talk on the feast because I don't feel qualified, I thought, well, I can talk a little bit about Passover because it happens to be here and I stumbled upon it and wasn't planning on it. All right, so specifically, this is so cool because out of all the feasts, Coy and I were talking about it coming up and I've talked with probably everybody, out of all the feasts, um, you know, Passover, I get and I look forward to and actually enjoy, you know, because it makes sense to me. I can do what I'm supposed to do, all of it, and there's no ambiguity in my mind. Bang, there it is. I still struggle with the, you know, Sukkot and, and all these other ones because I bump, my mind bumps into itself and I get all in a jumble. But Passover, for me, from the get-go of coming into this Hebraic group mindset, has just been clear as a bell to me. And I love Passover. All right, now, how God leaves his imprint specifically. Well, the statement in verse 20 unto this day says that the effects of what God did in Egypt were still felt in Jeremiah's day. Not, I'll tell you how long this is in a minute. Now, I got a couple commentators that speak about this. Uh, Benson, if I can pull myself up to the right verse here. Benson says, because I, you know, when I come up with these ideas that I'm sharing with you now that, well, wait a minute. It seems to me, Warren's saying to himself, you know, unto this day, well, it sounds to me like all this stuff that took place a long time ago in Egypt is still having an impact in Egypt, in Israel, and among other people. And my mind says, well, what in the world does that mean? And so before I share those thoughts, uh, Benson says, who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt? Who did wonders of justice in the land of Egypt, which remain, if not in the marks, yet in the memorials of them, unto this day, and in Israel? God wrought wonders of mercy in Israel, bringing them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, uh, raining down manna upon them, and quails from heaven, and fetching water out of the rock for them, and among other men. And also... He has done many wondrous works in other places which he has made, by which he's made himself a glorious name. So Benson is saying what I'm saying, that the ripple effect of what God has done is still manifesting itself unto this day. Uh, another fellow named Ellicott, I like him, he's pretty good. Um, he says it may be a little bit fuller. It says, even unto this day, the reference to the signs and wonders in Egypt seems natural enough. But, and this is good because he's had the same question I have. But in what sense, we ask, could those wonders have been said to have been wrought unto this day? It is conceivable that what he had heard, uh, it is conceivable that what he had heard of the frogs and the lice and the boils of Egypt might seem to Jeremiah the perpetuation 
in part of the old plagues. In other words, just thinking about it. But we get perhaps, he says, an adequate meaning by seeing in the words, this is good, the assertion that the old signs and wonders continued in their effect and in their memory. The name continued, though the signs themselves had passed away, and as well as to other men. And it says, he said, the words have their full force of God, of declaring, uh, I'm botching this, uh, among other men. These words have their, the full force of declaring God's universal government over mankind at large. So when he says, yep, what I did back then, it, it still reverberates in Egypt, uh, reverberates in Israel, it's still reverberating around the world. And these guys said the same thing. And they don't use my terminology, but God is leaving his imprint on human history. Now, the cool thing that hit me by accident, specifically verse 22, is talking about the Passover, right? And this is why I love Passover, because Passover in what year are we in? 2018 that we're going to celebrate is still reverberating the imprint of God's deliverance of his people from Israel all these years. And we, and I'm going to close with this, but I'll tell you now, we have a role in perpetuating God's imprint on this world. That's in part why he saves us, calls us, uh, delivers us, gives us the Holy Spirit. But this is also why the feasts are important. And the whole world knows about Passover. Right? It's not just Egypt and Israel. It's all those other people. <sighs> you know, this is just, I hope this is what it's been to me. Just reinvigorate your faith. I mean, it's all around us. You can't deny it. We live with it so much. It's like you buy the car, it's wonderful. After two months, it's just another stupid car. Well, some of us have been saved a long time, and the wonder and the, 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 the majesty was way back there. And it just kind of then, you know, you wonder, gosh, is this really real, or did I get hoodwinked somewhere along the way? No. Just look around. Look at yourself. You know. <laughs> You're here because God told you in here. So the Passover has specifically continued the imprint of God on human history. What God did in Egypt to deliver his people that bears his name, Israel. Now what's interesting, if you talk about, well, when, how long in Jeremiah's time? So I've done a little bit of research on it. The timing of the Exodus is somewhat uncertain. Some think it happened like in the 13th century, around 1290 B.C., some in the 15th century, around the 1400s. So let's just say it was around 1400 or 1300. Either one. Let's say it's 1300. All right. Well, the Babylonian siege was around 598. So let's just say 600. So you're talking from 1300 to 600 B.C., which is 700 years. And Jeremiah said, yep, God's still manifesting who he is because I'm writing about it right now. I'm writing about it. And I'm telling these people about it. And I'm telling all who are here, God lives. <laughs> oh, 
so good. You know? So it's, it's, it's from the 13th, whatever I said, down to Jeremiah's time, which is 600, 700 years. But this specific thing of the Passover, of God leaving his imprint, it goes down to us today. Now, I don't know, what's 600 B.C. to 2018? That's a long time. That's a long time. Isn't it cool, though? We will be playing a part of a very specific thing God did to say, world, I'm here. All right, now, some practical application or implications, and we'll close. All right, we'll look at uh, three passages and finish. All right, now, go up to Acts chapter 4. So some, some practical implications. How can we fit? What does it mean for us? You know, what do we do then? How do, how, how do we continually, with our own lives, manifest God's imprint? All right, so Acts, what did I say? 4. Acts 4. Uh, let's see. I want to read more than the note I just put down here. Well, anyway, this is the early persecution of the church. You know, it's... it's Anyway, they're under it. So you come to verse 13, and really I just need this verse. Now, when they, the authorities, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived their unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had the imprint of Jesus on their life. <laughs> Whoa, this is so good. Through persecution... Difficult times, prison. These guys are a bunch of, forgive me, Tennessee hillbilly hicks. What do they know? They know Jesus. And everybody knows they've been with Yeshua, right? That's us, folks. That's us. You know, I'm just, I'm a New Englander hillbilly hick, so. Yeah. You know, how do we perpetuate the imprint of God? And Coy and I were somewhat talking about it. People, if we will live according to how God's word says we should live, they will take notice that we've been with Yeshua. But Yeshua's been, quote unquote, dead and gone a long time. Though he's not. But you know what I'm saying? He's not walking the planet anymore. He wasn't walking the planet then. All right, Acts chapter 11, 22 through 26. All right, let's see, Acts eleven twenty-two. What verse do I want? Oh, okay. So, 22, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came, had seen the grace of God, uh, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him... He brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a, whole, uh, that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And here it is. And the disciples, 
People recognize the imprint of Yeshua on their lives. That's what that's saying. And the disciples were called Christians. Some think it may be a term of derogatory, but still. They were called little, little messiahs. They're just that, they're, they're, the big guy's gone. They're just trying to be little ones just like him. They were first called Christians in Antioch. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, and so that gives me hope. We're Messianics. We're Christian. Whatever label you want to put to it, we're born again, washed in the blood of Yeshua. We bear the imprint of, we, of the, our Messiah. We are little representatives of Him. All right, last verse, Colossians 3. All right, and we'll read 5 through 11. Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now you have a different imprint. So what are you supposed to do? Now put, uh, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed, and here's the verse, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of, of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Messiah is all in in all. I just love that. Verse 10. So put on, you have a new imprint, so just put it on. Put on this new imprint, which is renewed in knowledge after you have an image. It's like what is stamped on the coin. It's renewed after the image of him that created him. The practical implication is we're renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created us. All this refers to us as we live out our lives biblically in every generation to the glory of God. We are the living imprint of God on humanity. We're already told we're little messiahs. We're little, they're just little Christians. We're already told we're renewed after the knowledge of, of the image of him who created us. We've been told that our soul is in us. The world looks at us, probably even at our worst, and knows we're different. But while we're trying to live for him and live biblically out, live biblically like we're supposed to, I get kind of weird on this stuff, but, you know, I drive a school bus, and I'll pray, and I say, Holy Spirit, somehow just manifest your presence through me in this bus so that they'll know there's something different about me. Is that okay? Right? I think that's okay. We're a living imprint of God on humanity. God will use us, as Coy and I were talking about, even when we don't think we're being used because there is such a difference in us with our light shining in the midst of this darkness. So, man continually dispossesses, removes God and his word from life and history. But it can't be done. God has built-in safeguards so that it cannot happen. Plus, God won't 
let it happen. But when it does get to that point, the tipping point, where it looks like man is wiping out God from the face of this earth, Yeshua will come back and say, oh, yeah, <laughs> here I am. What you going to do now? So that's it. Even unto this day, our day, God has left an imprint. And so as we enter into Passover and the different feasts and festivals, as we go out into this world, realize that God, we are playing a part of the revelation of God going all the way back to the creation of it all. And he's using us who are saved, born again, blood washed, to just stamp his imprint upon our present human history. We do make a difference. We can make a difference. We just need to let God live his life through us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, I don't know, everything I just said because you ministered to me and kind of revitalized a little bit of everything. You know, that my little old puny life in this small puny state is making a difference because it's all part of the bigger picture of your grand imprint since creation that manifests who you are. And we're a part of that. And I thank you that it's not just all about feeling good and you taking care of everything and give us a nice house and new cars and you know living as, as worldly as a world. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you saved us to be that representation that imprint of who you are. And because we are saved, those of us that are saved, that are in Yeshua, we can go forth in his strength, his power, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, buoyed by your word to just go forth and say, oh yeah, God does live. It's like the old hymn, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. So Father, I love you, thank you, praise you in Yeshua's name, amen.